Welcome to Between Two Lips, a podcast dedicated to all things pelvic health for women. I'm your host, Kim Vopney, the Vagina Coach, and I am excited to share with you information from leading pelvic health professionals from around the world, stories from women at all life stages who have faced struggles and successes, and of course, I share a little about my own pelvic health journey as well. There is too much silent suffering associated with the female pelvis, and I am on a mission to change that. It's time we talk openly about a part of the body that deserves a whole lot more attention than it gets. Join me each week for casual and candid conversations that will both inform and inspire you to optimize your pelvic health for life. Welcome to another episode of Between Two Lips. I'm your host, Kim Bopney, the Vagina Coach, and in this week's episode, I am joined by Derek Sham, who is in the world of female pelvic health specific to prolapse and pessaries. And I was introduced to him through a previous colleague when I had my e-commerce store. One of my distributors knew Derek and said, you should check this guy out. He's doing some cool things. And Derek and I had, we've had a few conversations over the years, and he's now getting to the point of almost ready to launch his his product, which is essentially custom orthotics using imaging, using 3D printing, using AI. It's like, it's really flipping cool. So we had a really awesome conversation about his inspiration, where his inspiration came from, how he came up with the idea, and where he is now uh, a little over five years later. I'm really excited about what he is up to with his team and the impact that this is going to have on so many women. And I, I hope you have, I hope you're inspired, I think, by this conversation. It, it certainly planted a seed of hope where I know some people can be really deflated with regards to prolapse, especially as it pertains to pessaries and the frustrations and the cost and the time. And, and he's looking to transform the space and, and really deal with all of those issues. So, so. Buckle up for this conversation, and I'll have all the links to his amazing company and product in the show notes as well. Hope you enjoy. I'd like to thank the sponsor of today's episode, Feel Amazing Vulva and Vaginal Moisturizer. Studies show that moisturizing with hyaluronic acid is an effective treatment for vaginal dryness. Vaginal dryness is most commonly associated with menopause. When we reach menopause, estrogen goes for a steep decline, and so does hyaluronic acid. Hyaluronic acid is a naturally occurring molecule that our body makes on its own, keeping our eyes, mouth, skin, joints, and vaginas naturally lubricated. But our body's hyaluronic acid starts to decline in our 30s and 40s, and then more significantly post-menopause. There are other reasons that can lead to vulva and vaginal dryness, including the birth control pill, postpartum, overuse of pads and panty liners, certain cancer treatments, and some medications and health conditions. The Feel Amazing Vulva and Vaginal Moisturizer is made from hyaluronic acid and vitamin E to restore natural moisture back into the skin cells of the vulva and vaginal wall. It was researched and developed by BC-based pharmacists in collaboration with vagina owners age 35 and up and my good friend Shirley Weir over at Menopause Chicks. Feel Amazing can be purchased online without a prescription. This means you can take control of your vaginal health and apply the moisturizer as often as your own unique needs require without having to consult a doctor first. I use Feel Amazing, have been using it for several years and absolutely love it. I put it on right after my morning shower and it truly does feel amazing. No mess, no goo, just tissue support and health that I absolutely love. I've got a link 
in the show notes for you so you can get started taking care of your vulva vaginal health by moisturizing your vagina today. Welcome to this week's episode of Between Two Lips. I am joined today by Derek Sham, who is doing some really incredible things with regards to pessaries and support for prolapse. So welcome, Derek. I'm really excited for our conversation. Thank you, Kim. Great to be here. Yeah. So if you can start out by just kind of, I guess, introducing yourself, but tell us what led you to work in the field of pelvic health, but also very specifically with regards to pelvic organ prolapse and looking to innovate in the realm of pessaries. Yeah, so my background is I'm a medical device engineer, went to university for it, worked in cardiology, gastroenterology, ended up spending a decade in urology and gynecology, became the general manager of a company called Labrie, a Canadian company that developed urodynamic systems. And I was essentially in charge of the R&D and commercialization of the most utilized urodynamic system in the world. So it's a gold standard diagnostic, measuring and quantifying lower urinary tract symptoms. So doctors could probably plan PT, surgery, different components. And you know, during my time there, I watched my grandmother go through prolapse. It was an interesting experience because, you know, I you know, had all these doctors in my Rolodex, knew some of the best doctors in the world. She ended up failing multiple pessary fittings, developing urosepsis, multiple surgeries later put into a home. So it was one of those things for me when Lapry was successfully exited or sold. I was like, well, the world's bigger than penises, vaginas, and assholes, and I'm going to go do something different. And <laughs> I actually came up with this, you know, with this idea on a beach in Bali. I was doing yoga teacher training, traveling, quit my job, trying to figure out what, what next to do. And I woke up one morning and ended up drafting a patent on a napkin. I think partially because, you know, deep down, I was incredibly frustrated with what happened to my grandmother. And, you know, I thought I'd come home, finished an MBA, launched Cosm on what I call our mission for personal public health. You know, jump starting, you know, when we, when I went full time into Cosm in 2018 until now, we're now, you know, I'm very grateful to be leading really an impact driven company with the opportunity to really modernize gynecological devices for unique bodies and needs. We're now a team of 18 and growing. We have experienced engineers, execs, four PhDs covering biomechanics, ultrasound, AI, 3D printing. And we're back by a growing village. We've got Silicon Valley and Canadian VCs, doctors, hospital networks, really supporting us on making a dent and really aiming towards, you know, improving over 1 million lives by 2030. That's amazing. That's amazing. So maybe if we can start by what is a pessary? I mean, before we get yeah. too d into, the, into the weeds about the technology and yeah. everything we've done, some people may not even know what a pessary is. Yeah, totally. So, so pessaries are a form of conservative therapy for pelvic floor disorders such as prolapse and stress urinary incontinence. They're actually one of the oldest known medical devices. They date back over 2,000 years of use to the Egyptians. The word pessary comes from the Greek word pesos, which means round river rock, which is still used as a treatment for prolapse in animal husbandry. And, you know, so, so how they work is their temporary prosthetics placed inside the vagina. Kind of like how a sports bra supports breasts, it's used inside of the vagina to support pelvic organs to alleviate symptoms 
associated with incontinence and prolapse. They really have not changed in the last 50 years since the advent of medical grade silicone. They right now come in over a hundred different shapes and sizes and they're fit by trial and error. So the current gold standard is a doctor goes like this with their fingers and they're like, hmm, I think you're a ring size three, puts one in, patient walks around for 10 minutes. If it's uncomfortable, it falls out. They try another one over and over again. From published research, a third of women fail pest refittings, half stop using them within a year or two, and over half develop complications with long-term use. Now, even noting all those problems, right? Over 10 million pessaries are sold globally per year. So, you know, most people have met somebody wearing a pessary, but don't know about it. You know, what we're doing is we're modernizing that. We are essentially bringing, you know, digitization or the modernization of through, you know, 3D printing and, and other technologies to this field. Yeah, and, and the one of the words that you, I think, I believe you've trademarked is gynothotics. Is that yeah. correct? Is that yeah. the pronunciation? Yep. So you're yeah. essentially like orthotics for the shoe that are supporting the foot this yeah. is like an orthotic for the vagina that's helping support the anatomy there. Is that a fair way to describe it? Yeah, that, that's a fair way to describe it. I think, I think you, you know, it, it, I came up with that name actually after talking to both a patient and a clinician one day. And they're like, look, like the doctor was like, look, pessaries, they're so pessimistic. And the patient was like, I just don't, I just don't love the name of it. And, and I think it exemplifies our approach to bringing science into a field that's essentially clinical trial and error. It's you know, arguably archaic in certain ways and you know, doesn't serve the patients and their unique bodies and needs. So you know, if you look at what a pessary is, it's essentially a gynecological prosthetic based upon the you know, dictionary definition of the term. And you know, we've now trademarked the term gynothotic in our approach to bring science and replace clinical art. And you are using, it, like, as you say, there's really been no innovation or evolution in this space for so long. And, and now leveraging what we have from 3D printing and AI, yeah. you're marrying those two together. So yeah. what what will the final, you're in clinical trials, final stages right now, which is really exciting, but what will the final product be like and sort of what's the procedure that somebody will like the, the not so necessarily the procedure the process that somebody would go through to actually be able to use one of your products yeah we actually finished our first clinical trial last year oh you did oh good we pub published the science in the american urogynecology journal a small entity comparing quality of life of women with a standard pessary so they're all pessary wearers versus a gynephonic and what was super interesting is that we were able to demonstrate improved patient satisfaction and improved symptoms on all eight patients. Hmm. Basically for the 70% of women that try pessaries and it works, the definition of it works is that it doesn't fall out. It doesn't mean that they don't have incontinence. It doesn't mean that they still don't feel a bit of the bulge. They still have symptoms. And we're in the process of essentially optimizing that so more women you know, can get back to their lives. So the process as we go forward is essentially a, we have two methods of generating gynephonics. One from clinical assessments. So leveraging the current gold standard, what's called a POPQ to quantify prolapse and a, and a, and a set of other clinical assessments. We can generate gynephonics kits 
or a kit of semi-customized devices for patients. So think of that as kind of like getting a custom orthotic at a physical therapist, chiropractor, or podiatrist. So same kind of you know, business and, and push forward. Our other method, partially because I come from the diagnostic realm, is we're building a imaging-based diagnostic to mold and scan the female pelvic floor to develop uber-custom optimized gynephotics. We've actually completed a clinical study for that also, and it was actually just accepted for publication, so that'll be coming out later on this fall. And, and what I found interesting about, the, you know, last year we won the, like we did a top five poster presentation at the Canadian Society of Public Medicine. And it was interesting because the feedback was, okay, if you can personalize pessaries with this, what else can we do? Can we look at, you know, obstetric prediction of, you know, perineal tear? Could we do surgical planning? What, where does this go? And, you know, I'm not the scientist of my team. And, and you know, my, my core, what grinds my gears about it is the fact that the vagina is the only muscular tube of the body, orifice of the body, that doesn't have a reimbursed, high-quality functional diagnostic test. In your urethra, there's urodynamics. In down your throat, there's high-resolution manometry. In the butt, to look at incontinence or fecal incontinence and constipation, there's anorectal manometry. The vagina is the only tube that doesn't have it, and arguably, it's the one that needs it the most because it's the most complex. It has multiple functions: sexual function, it affects urinary function, rectal function. It, it affects so many things, but there's no gold standard diagnostic. So. You know, as part of our platform, you know, we're swinging for the fences and partnering with world-leading researchers on also the diagnostic front, i.e. how to measure. Because the better, if you can't measure it, you can't improve it. So we're working on both ends, not just the 3D printing, but also the measurement. And then the AI and cloud software are the bridge that manages the process throughout. So for a patient, you can envision either getting measurements or a scan two weeks later, going back to your doctor, then getting fitted by a customized device. And for the patient, they'll, there will be a, a patient app accompanying the device that provides them education before they go in, what to expect during the fitting, asks quality of life questionnaires, what are your priorities, are you sexually active, how physically active are you, because those come into factor on the customization of design. And then we also track how patients are doing afterwards to really, uh, you know, drive drive improvements going forward. That's amazing, and 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 I I didn't know that you were going to be having to like sort of one that's similar to a, you know, it's partially customized, but then one that would be like almost a step up. So as I understood from what you said, there will be a yeah. if it's sort of a fairly typical or standard cystocele or rectocele or something, there there will be a less customized, but it, for others with more complex, there would be more detailed imaging and then more customization. Is that correct? Did I hear that correctly? That is correct. And, and that's going to be the evolution, right? And I think, I think that's the difficulty with women's health. I think if you look at like the history of women's health, how women weren't allowed to participate in clinical studies and whatnot, you know, this, this space lacks data. And within pessary fittings, 
it's essentially clinical art and trial and error, which doesn't generate data, which you can't really build an AI on. And what we're doing is we're, you know, better quantifying the measurements of the diagnostics so we have better inputs while also collecting the data to be able to train the AI and go forward, noting that as we go forward, we want to optimize, okay, minimizing obviously the prolapse symptoms, minimizing urinary function symptoms because of a pessary doesn't fit right, or it could cause urinary retention. You know, some pessaries demonstrate occult stress urinary incontinence. You put a pessary in, correct the urethra, then the patient is incontinent. There's also a lot of pessaries cause constipation. So, so we're really optimizing the system for both functions. And as we go forward, you know, we're developing a device that's both personalized and easy to self-manage, kind of like, you know, modern diva cups are and whatnot as they evolve. So that sort of like threads into another question I have. I know with certain pessaries and with certain populations, the insertion and removal is a little bit challenging. It's, I would say, more so the removal People have yeah. a hard time going in and kind of capturing it and, and it can create some erosion sometimes with tissues. So how will, what will the insertion and removal process be if it differs from the current sort of fold the taco, insert it, and hopefully... That's, a, that's a great question. In, yeah, fold the taco. I love it. That's actually in our, in our training as part of our cloud portal is fold the taco. I'm like, is there a better way to say that? But there <laughs> there really isn't. We landed on fold the taco also. Yeah. You know, our, our SOAR version one gynothotic based upon regulatory requirements is essentially current designs of pessaries. So rings, gale horns, cubes, allowing the doctor not just to customize the diameter, but also length, width, thickness, and the material. So mm. we're able to generate materials that are softer than current pessaries, which theoretically could alleviate abrasions, discomfort, pain, and, and other things as we go. We do have also eight new designs that we're working through different clinical studies to improve on insertion removal. Some operate like a stent, some operate like a tampon with a deployment system. We're working you know, with world-leading researchers to really pick which makes the most sense as we go forward. But we do have you know, essentially eight novel designs that are you know, version two and going into clinical studies right now. Very cool. And the length of, so different, different pessaries or different manufacturers have guidelines with regards to how long the pessary can be left in. Yes. Will your will your designs be any different or will there be, do you have a, a guideline with, is it a daily insertion removal? Is it something that can be left in for a period of time? And could somebody have intercourse? That's a great question. I think it depends on, we are not validating the clinical studies on intercourse. It's a very interesting one. I think with a standard ring pessary, it's doable. You know, the cube and the gale horn are much more difficult. And, you know, as we evolve, I am confident that it will be possible with the pessary in, but that is an evolution of the technology as we expand forward. With regards to indications, I'm going to have to refer to my team within regulatory on the details of that, but it will, our version one will follow this current standard of recommending daily use, uh, daily insertion and removal. Okay. 
And will it still, you mentioned potentially being softer. Is it still going to be silicone in terms of the actual? Yeah, yeah it yeah. is. Okay. We're, we're using high quality medical grade silicone and, you know, and we've, you know, passed, you know, most of like pretty much the entire biocompatibility spread of tests. It, it's been really actually interesting working with the regulatory bodies as I, I believe this group is highly sensitive with regards to biocompatibility, which they should be because the vaginal environment is unique in its own right. And it's been interesting, but they are, you know, clearly sensitive as a result of, you know, what happened with mesh and the implants there. So, yeah. 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 From an imaging perspective, so yeah. we've talked about the pop cue and the, the you know, the finger measurement. So that, that for somebody using, say, the more... I don't know, I don't want to say necessarily off the shelf, but the less customized piece, will that be the still be the standard? And then when you go up a level to make it more customizable, that's where we're using imaging. You mentioned ultrasound. Is it is it parent transperineal? Is it in through the vagina? Is it like what how are you yeah, getting yeah, yeah, yeah. the imaging? So so from a clinical assessment standpoint, we've developed a hand tool to support increasing the re- reproducibility and quality of that. From a pop cue standpoint, from a science perspective, it's about a plus or minus one centimeter intra and intraoperative reproducibility. And we're essentially opening a handful to improve that. There are a set of additional measurements that, that we're taking as part of actually the largest clinical study in the world in this space. We call it the POP AI study. We're basically collecting data to predict pessary success, type, and size. Right now, our AI at this point can essentially predict pessary success type and size to a certain quality interval where we're confident that we'll be able to, at the very least, remove the trial and error of pessary fittings. Now, as we extend forward towards personalization, our imaging system is based upon transperineal ultrasound and is essentially somewhere between, for people that know this space, somewhere between a bladder scanner and a video urodynamic system for the vagina or a souped up paratron slash perino that, you know, that, that allows us to actually quantify both the shape and the biomechanical properties of the tissue. How rigid is this compartment? Which part is distending? What does the anorectal angle look like? How strong is the levator hiatus? You know, like different components that are critical for really understanding both the physiology, biomechanics, and the function of the muscles, tissues, and ligaments. That's really cool. And if somebody had multiple compartments, so I know that that can be yeah. a challenge with pessaries as well, that yeah. it might be helpful for the bladder, but then if you have the uterus and the rectum at the same time, it might pose other complications. So is there, I would assume it would kind of be the next level up, the, the most customizable that would be able to help this population. Is that correct? Yeah. And I think for multiple compartments, the first, our, our first approval, looking at it, the the level of customization, if you look at multiple compartments, the first one I would point to is our cube. So instead of a standard cube, you can customize length, width, and height, noting that the anterior and posterior walls are different lengths and different things. So, you know, we're, we're working with the regulators to get that through to, to drive towards, you know, the first level of customization. I think if you look at multiple compartments, you know, I mentioned earlier about 30% of women can't get fit by pessaries, right? A fair amount of that is women post-hysterectomy, so short vagina, combined with a large general hiatus 
or posterior part compartment prolapse. And we have, again, novel designs in clinical study specifically designed to correct the compartments that can't get fixed with standard pest mm, and awesome. also and also to consider the mul the multiple compartment factor because okay like you can fix prolapse but if that causes constipation or incontinence that doesn't really you know get a woman back to her life right so so we're we're looking at it as a multifactorial process within customization That'll be huge, especially I know having lived with a rectocele and not been able to use pessaries, and that's a big challenge with with people yeah. specific to to posterior compartments. That'd be amazing. So, in the just kind of reflecting back on the the study you did, you said N of eight, and they yeah. were all people with prolapse. Was did they all have the same type, or were there multiple presentations, different types of prolapse? Multiple types of prolapse, anterior, like they wore a ring. Gale horns, different types. They were of ages, I think, from forty-five to seventy-five. Don't don't quote me on that. I'd have to look. I'd have to look up the study yeah, specifically. Yeah. But and I think what was interesting about the first study is as we trained the AI, we engaged both the clinical and patient community to, you know, what patient wears their pessary, what is their problem with it, and the clinician does an assessment with the pessary in. And, and they partner to design the customized device. They, and I think what the platform that we're building allows is for really cool research within both the PT and the urogynecology community and everybody in between, let's say OBGYN, general gynecology and whatnot, to really bring science and data to it. And I'm really excited as in the next three to six months, we'll be announcing some really awesome partnerships to really leveling up the the research that we're doing, you know, bringing data into a space that's just understudied, underserved. Hey, I'm just jumping in to gently nudge you to put your pelvic health at the top of your to-do list today. I'm not talking about hundreds of Kegels. I'm talking about a whole body approach that addresses root causes and helps you get rid of your leaky bladder, your prolapse symptoms, your chronic low back pain, and your lackluster sex. My 28-day buff mop challenge has helped over 6,000 women stop suffering and get back to living. It's an app-based pelvic floor fitness program that gives you a 10-minute whole body workout each day for 28 days. That's it. 10 minutes is all it takes. You will build your bones, your heart, and your pelvic floor in a way that is unique and effective. Participants are always saying that they have never heard of an approach like this, and they have only ever been told to do Kegels or to never do Kegels, but instead do reverse Kegels. Kegels are effective and do work when done correctly and consistently, but most women don't know how to do them correctly, so even if they are consistent, they don't get the results they want, so they give up. I believe the pelvic floor needs to be trained dynamically with whole body movement, not with static Kegels done over and over. Come join me in my Buff Muff app and take the 28-day challenge. What do you have to lose except the pads, the symptoms, and the limitations? It's time to ditch the incontinence pads, eliminate bothersome symptoms, and get back to living. I have a link in the show notes below so you can sign up now and start buffing your muff right away. I want to ask about the data, but first, before I forget, yeah. people with... Levator avulsion, 
or other severe sort of birth injuries. Is this something, you know, that that population also has been one that historically is hasn't had a lot of success with pessaries. Is this something that you could potentially address as well? Success with pessaries, the surgery is fairly complicated. There's there's a whole lot there. I think there are, you know, having talk to a fair amount of patients we get we get a fair amount of patients reach out to us on our website and mm-hmm. that's part of my like staying grounded is communicating with a lot of them through email i have team members that you know run interviews with patients so if you do have patients and you'd like to get involved you know within your community feel free to reach out to us we're happy to engage and kind of learn your story and see if we can help as we go i think with the levator avulsion population there are i know i know at least four Levator avulsion patients, some very close to postpartum, still looking to have a family, some for the long. And four of them that I know wear a cube pessary, but it obviously isn't optimal and, and has its issues. So I think there will be a subset of patients with the levator avulsion that we can serve, that are currently being served. But I, as a realist and a bit of an engineer and science dork, I simply don't have the data to say that it will work for everybody. But we're gonna we're gonna effing try, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. like like, and and I think it's gonna be a combination of novel designs, plus personalization, plus feedback from both the clinician and the patient as to what are their core priorities. For instance, if it does work, it might not be as easy to insert or remove. So how do you think through those balances and really engaging in, you know, in people really managing their care? You know? mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. Yeah. There was, I was just hosting a retreat. It was called the Pelvic Love Retreat. And there was a gal on there who, when I, I was talking about your company and, and sort of innovation yeah, in the pessary space, and she came up to me after and she said, I'm on their, I'm on their list and I really hope that I get selected. So she, <laughs> yeah. So, That's awesome. Yeah, That's I great. Think it's amazing yeah. that you're that you have that available. Yeah, for people well, to reach we're out. we're expecting Health Canada approval by end of this year, so we're actually reaching out in the next month or two to all our Canadian all our Canadian patients that have reached out. So thank you, thank you. I really do appreciate those messages because it keeps us on track. And then and then probably November December we'll be reaching out to the American patient population that have reached out. You know, as we hope to begin serving the world North America near end of this year and the majority of the world by you know let's say end of 2024 early 2025 so. mm-hmm. that's awesome and and just going back to the beginning it, to confirm in terms of the process so this will be something that as you said you're aligning with with practitioners who yep. will be able to will potentially have the technology or the capacity to refer on and will they then with the with the patient or the consumer purchase this through the website or is it is it a practitioner who is placing an order with you practitioner practitioner i think i think because of you know you know you know you know the standard risk with pessaries if it's not maintained well there is a slew of issues that can occur we're a prescription only device working with doctors to better service patients just like custom orthotics custom dental custom here now as we kind of drive the platform forward there are there are opportunities to engage patients. You know, for instance, we in our digital gynecology software, you know, we have baseline physical therapy exercises that that patients could do. We obviously state that you should go see a pelvic floor PT because I believe in the community. And 
you know, I, I think I think it's a it's a crazy world, right? Like, you know, when when my grandmother was going through this, she got fit with pessaries by three different providers: a general gynecologist, two different urogynes. They all had different types of pessaries. They all tried different ones. Nothing worked, right? Mm -hmm. So, so I think helping the levator avulsion population is you know something something near and dear to me. And it's crazy in Canada and even in the US to think that our, my best guess is that somewhere between you know, 60 to 80% of pessaries are fit by urogynecologists. Cause it, it would be like, it would be like, you know, for, so I used to play a lot of sports, so I got chronic ankle knee pain. So I wear a customized orthotic. It'd be like me having to go see an orthopedic surgeon to get a customized orthotic, it just doesn't. It like, like the healthcare and have system. have a potential twelve to eighteen month wait list to be able to even get boom. over that first. Exactly, and, and 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 the craziest part is that beyond that, like your gynecology as part of COVID, like I was here wait times of three years. That's like, like that's crazy for surgery. Yeah, that's even crazier to fit a low risk, you know, orthotic conservative yeah. self removable yeah. device it's and i think you know our goal is not just to improve quality but it's also to improve access as we as we go forward i you know one of my team members next week is actually going to the pelvicon conference mm -hmm. the pt pelvic conference next week are you going to that killer i'm not but the gal who i okay. just hosted the retreat with she will be she's there oh cool at it as well yeah yeah oh cool maybe maybe you know she'll on my team can 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 team up with the team up with your partner it'd be great to meet yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. that'd be amazing yeah. Cool. Yeah. yeah, very cool. So then, yeah. yeah, like everything you're saying is just, it is, it is crazy. It is crazy. The wait times, yeah. the challenges. And then if you finally, or when you finally get in and you have to go through multiple visits and the cost of those multiple visits plus the cost of the pessary each time, I just, that's a big reason why people just say, forget it. And it's not going to work for yeah. me. And then either they're there in the situation of just putting up with it and suffering, or then they may go down the surgical path, which surgery can be a fantastic option, but there's wait lists for that. And then it's also, again, just the whole conversation around the bigger picture of pelvic health and all of the things that we need to address as part of, yeah. of the, the challenge that person is facing. So that your, your app and the education and the alliance with pelvic PTs is that should be standard of care. Really? Yeah. Well, I, I was born in Hong Kong. I love being Canadian. I think and dream in English, so I am Canadian <laughs> through and through. You know, pelvic PT, postpartum is covered in France. OHIP, so on Health Quality Ontario, has generated a report demonstrating and suggesting that OHIP cover pessaries here in Ontario. They haven't, this was two and a half years ago, they haven't done anything. There was a recent publication on sexism in reimbursement. Basically, if you decide to service women versus men, i.e. if you're like doing this, the same procedure as a urologist versus a gynecologist, you make less money. It, it is, there are, there are systemic issues that even though I worked in industry, wasn't aware of until I kind of worked, you know, until I started kind of going down the rabbit hole as one would say, but there are people trying to make a difference you know, I, I'm very fortunate to be leading a team that both challenges me, but also aligns on, our, on the fact that we're here to make a difference, mm -hmm. you know, and, and it's pretty exciting times as we, you know, 
actually five years later from, you know, from kind of, you know, writing this on from a napkin, napkin. <laughs> from the napkin to, to really actually beginning to serve patients so that they can keep the devices. I know, you know, a couple of the patients that we had in our clinical study innovate, they kind of disappeared on us because they really, they wanted to keep the device, but oh, we're, we're, we're really, we're really excited. <laughs> we're really excited to actually, you know, start serving patients, gather feedback and improve because if you don't measure it, you can't improve it. And without trying, you can't, you can't get to that next level. So we're, we're, it's one step at a time, you know, yeah. with this. So, yeah. And will this, do you have any plans for this to eventually be covered by insurance or is that in, in place now? So with all the different yeah. providers who will refer, is the, the goal that this could be covered by insurance? We have been in discussions with insurers, providers, employers in both Canada and U.S. In Canada, 80% of people have private health insurance coverage. And if you have a health spending account, this will be covered. So I've had chats with the associations and the larger insurers in Canada. And basically, I just have to let them know once we get the approval to, you know, and, and we're obviously within certain pricing things. So, so, you know, that's one of the first things that I'm excited to test out is Health Canada, you know, uh, you know, private insurance coverage in Canada. The situation in the U.S. is significantly more complex. And, you know, either way, it will get coverage starting with health spending account coverage. You know, we're hopeful for some really large research organization support, NIH in the U.S. and also CIHR in Canada, to support some of our large clinical studies to validate the health economics of how not, how not just, not how this will not just improve patients' quality of life, but it will save our healthcare money. One thousand percent. It right now doesn't make sense. Like, like why? If you can manage it, potentially reverse it at a younger age, i.e., postpartum, mm -hmm. as you've experienced, and mm -hmm. you know, like, why not invest money there instead of waiting till the issue is at a point where you need surgery, which has its own costs and issues, and. You know, I'm not saying surgery isn't great. Surgery is great for a lot of things, that, you know, mm -hmm. but, you know, there, you know, our healthcare system is designed to help people with major issues, but isn't designed to support people trying to manage and prevent issues from occurring. And I think, but I think the world is changing. The reimbursement models are changing. And our goal is to evolve with that. And we're basically following the same path as custom orthotics, custom dental, custom hearing, with the intent that, you know, with the backing of awesome VCs in Canada and US and, and whatnot, and doing the right research and whatnot, and, and the research community to really, you know, driving reimbursement and getting these things covered, you know? Yeah. Because yeah. does, it, does it make sense that we cover Viagra, but not pessaries? Probably not. You know, oh as gosh, a society, you know, like, I don't, you know, and, and, and that's the thing is like, I come from, like, I come from the prostate device side, right? Like mm -hmm. we used, I used to do both men. So the diagnostic urodynamics is men, prostate issues affects half of men, right? Pelvic floor disorders affect half of women. They're equivalent in prevalence. And I would argue equivalent in the devastation that it can cause with regards to quality of life. One has 
really nice reimbursement models mm. and really advanced and cool technology that already exists. And, and, one, and, and, and one is coming. It does not yet, but it's coming. <laughs> yes, there's actually really yet. cool, there, there, there's really cool surgeries. There's like new surgeries coming out. There's some really cool companies, both out of US and Israel coming out with new surgeries. There is a slew of researchers beyond us trying to develop personalized devices in different groups, Europe, US, Canada, you know, like it's exciting to be in a, you know, on a macro lens in a space where the world the world sees the inequality. The world is projecting that women's femtech is growing at over 16% year over year because it's underserved and women control healthcare dollars in all households anyways. So we're so the world is saying, oh, like we're gonna start serving this. We're projecting it to grow double digits year over year for a while. Yeah, yeah. We're also in a space where we're also in elderly care space in age tech. And age tech is projected to grow at 17% per year, both, you know, baby boomers and also the fact that, you know, we also, you know, if COVID taught us anything, we do not take care of our elderly well. And we're, you know, so the world I would argue is like beginning to divert resources to it. There are obviously entrenched interests that would like to keep it, you know, the same as, you know, business as usual. But there are people, you know, like me, my team, our collaborators, our supporters that are really, you know, you could say the saving grace of capitalism is entrepreneurship. And we're really trying to drive that forward. So. Yeah, yeah. It's been interesting to watch the menopause explosion that's happening as well. Because oh, yeah. that's also contributed to a whole other conversation around pelvic health because GSM, a big component of menopause, is it can't be ignored in that space. So it's it has opened up, you know, it's taken a long time for pelvic health to really be talked about or really to be considered. And, you know, even in the last five years, which kind of was around the same time that you were starting, we were finally making a little bit of headway. And now menopause, that conversation has exploded and has a lot of dollars behind it and has oh, celebrity yeah. behind it. So the the pelvic health has is kind of expanded even more because of that which is really cool exciting yeah i i it's interesting i like 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 where it's all going i i relate it to where you know men's pelvic health was when i started in this industry you know urology about 20 years ago this was a time when i think it was like the green mile and tom hanks in the green mile mm -hmm. has prostate issues mm -hmm. and the guy like put his hand in, healed him, he could pee normally, you know, wasn't suffering. It, it was also the time when Viagra came out and they spent a billion dollars in marketing to normalize it. November, Prostate Awareness Month, all these things started to change and drive the social conversation that led to the capital, that led to the, the new technologies, that led to the, you know, all the things. Mm -hmm. and, and I feel that happening, you know, in the women's public health space. And I'm just kind of, you know, kind of grateful, arguably to my grandmother for giving me like mm -hmm. a purpose as part of her last, you know, years yeah. of life. And it's, it's been a, it's been a fun journey. It's a bit of a rabbit hole. Yeah. And, and, you know, yeah. So that's really cool. Before I let you go, I just kind of want to wrap up with the, the data piece I, I mentioned, I wanted yeah. to come back to that. So you've, you've talked about you're creating a digital health portal, you've got the app and it will be collecting data. So what is it collecting and what will that data be used for? 
Yeah. So, so one of the asinine things around this is understanding that every pessary fitter, every clinician fitting pessaries has a different level of experience, a different inventory. So your likelihood of going through the arduous journey of trial and error or clinical assessment and clinical trial and error versus the likelihood of success is different throughout, right? And as we go forward, our AI or machine learning requires reinforcement, i.e. take measurements, predict an output, does it work, does it not. So it requires that data set to validate. We obviously have trained our AI not just on that, but also biomechanics and the science of it. But you have to combine the two for this to work because it is a uber, this is an uber complex issue because it affects multiple organs, multiple functions, right? So our cloud software collects clinical assessments, does the prediction, and also how patients are doing in a way that allows us to really train AI. Because if a woman has the same symptoms, the same clinical assessments, let's say in England, and she gets an optimized device for her care, gets her quality of life back to you know, back to where it was before, a clinician doing in their first year of fitting gynothotics in the, let's say the, I don't know, like, like Nashville in the US, assessing the same patient with the same measurements should be able to get the same quality of output. So it's imperative for us to really capture both the clinical assessment combine it with quality of life to drive that data feedback loop. Now, noting all that, data is de-identified throughout the process. We, you know, and also essentially every woman deciding to try out gynothotics and use it is helping every woman afterwards, Mm -hmm. which is the beauty of our world now, right? Mm -hmm. Like it's like the ability to do a podcast, and share it with the world. You know, go through your go through your treatment, participate in in sharing how, how what did it work? How, you know, do, do you still have a bit of incontinence with it? You know, all, all the issues. We collect that, and we use that data to help the next woman going through the issue. And that it's is, kind of a, you know, like an always evolving process. An always evolving process, and that's. You know, that's the fun part of working with regulators and the different things as to how do we think about version control, all, all the stuff as we go. But we, you know, our, our cloud platform from a data security side, because, you know, we are taking images of vaginas. So obviously, you know, we meet, we meet and exceed all the standards with regards to patient information, privacy and different components. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Talking about cost, is this, what would the cost to the patient be, even if it was reimbursable? And is there a cost to the clinician then to purchase that, the device that yeah. you talked about? And is that how it's going to work? Yeah. And, and so so our suggested sale price is about $500 for the device. And it's we're essentially, it's the same thing as custom orthotics versus right. Dr. Scholl's orthotics and pessaries with a revenue share model where we incentivize provider adoption. Because I think, you know, like I mentioned before, getting patients to get involved in their their care, to optimize their own care and their own device is important because I don't know if that patient wants to do CrossFit because if they want to do CrossFit, 
it's going to be a little more, it's going to have to be a little more supportive, right? Or, you know, there's, there's nuances in, in, in what they want to do in their lives that will affect the design of the device. Now, we also need the clinicians to be happy providing it. And are we service doctors that service the patients? I've had orthotics in the past and you get almost like a, like a mold of your foot and it gets sent off to the lab. Your orthotic is created. It's sent back to you. You put it on. If there's little tweaks that are needed that, you know, this, it feels like it's rubbing right here or it feels like it needs to be a little bit longer or supportive here. Can there be tweaks done to the gynothotics as well? That is literally what our platform is designed for in that, you know, our version one release is you try a pessary and you've tried one, you let us know what the problem is. Clinician does an assessment. We can tweak that right away. We can service, we can improve your quality of life right away. And I know, you know, and that's the frustrating part of the field of science. Science, right, is tends to sometimes binary. Does it work? Does it not work? But we're humans. Mm-hmm. We're a whole lot more complex than that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, like what, when you say it does work, okay. Does it What's work right? when you're running? Yeah. Do, does it work to the point where you can't feel your prolapse at all at any time, even if you're lifting your kid or going for a run? Or do you get incontinence when you laugh? Is it just when you laugh or when you're giggling? You know what I mean? Like, yeah. like there's, yeah. there's nuance to that, that. And I would argue that is also the beauty of where machine learning is because a machine trained on a million patients is going to have more experience than any clinician Mm -hmm. that's out there but we do not the machine never replaces the doctor the doctor is the one that provides care because you know yeah so right 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 i i am so excited about i've been excited since i first spoke to you probably five years ago and learned about this and and becoming equal even more excited now and about the possibility so thank you so much for the work that you're doing thank you to your grandma who planted the seed and and keeps you going and i i really am i'm really really hopeful about how this is going to transform the landscape for pelvic health specific to prolapse and pessaries no thank you thank you for the opportunity to kind of spread awareness really excited to engage you with your community of providers and patients you know our website's cosm.care c-o-s-m.care feel free to reach out would love to engage in just not just you know helping patients driving research and really you know, driving the next evolution of devices for unique bodies and needs. We're at the precipice of change and any support towards improving 1 million lives by 2030 is greatly appreciated. So, you know, join us on our mission for personal public health. Thank you, Kim. Yeah, thank you so much. I will have all those links in the show notes below and uh, thank you so much. Cheers. That's it for another episode of Between Two Lips. Thank you so much for choosing to spend part of your day with me. If you are enjoying the show, I recommend subscribing so you don't miss an episode. And I would also be grateful for a positive review. This will help get the information I share into the hands of more people who may not even know that help exists. Finally, I encourage you to take what you learn here and put it into action so that you can ensure that what you hear me and my guests share is not just lip service.